Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is producer and founder of Sync Songwriter and the Art of the Song Pitch, Chris S.D. First of all, I know we talked about this in the past, but songs and albums that are older than 18 months, the music industry considers catalog. Here's the thing. Consumption of catalog has gone up to about 74% of all streaming. Now, consider that this was only 66% just a couple years ago. So it seems that people are not listening to as many current hits. But is that really true? It turns out that when Spotify and other streaming networks first came online, the people that stream music were mostly young listeners, and they're a lot more into discovery and new music. As older listeners began to adopt these streaming platforms, they tend to listen to music they know. So as a result, there are a lot more catalog plays. But there's more to this equation. Popular hits last a lot longer than they ever have. And there are some songs that are older than 18 months that become hits. Labels also push older catalog when a new song is released. So as a result, you have a lot more emphasis on these older songs. This is referred to as shallow catalog, and it refers to music that's old enough to be considered catalog, but it's still new enough to be a first-run pop hit. This is a trend that's going to keep going. There'll be more songs older than 18 months that will be hits, and those hits will stay popular for a lot longer. If you have any comments or questions, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Mixing Engineer's Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on mixing and immersive audio, self-mastering, new mixer interviews, and much more. Get your copy at a special discounted price at bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. That's bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. And remember, you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. Now let's talk about audio formats because there's a lot of confusion about it. There are actually three categories of audio formats. There's lossy, lossless, and uncompressed. A lossy audio format makes audio files smaller, and that's what they're there for, to make these large files a lot smaller so they're easier to distribute and also takes up less space on a hard drive. The problem is that they throw away some audio information, and you may or may not hear the difference for instance, with acoustic music, you're going to hear that there's a lack of presence that's usually there, but maybe for speed metal, you won't notice it at all. The most famous lossy format is MP3, although it's not used that much anymore except for podcasts. Another one is Apple AAC, which stands for Advanced Audio Coding, and this is used by iTunes, Apple Music, Nintendo, and even Sony PlayStation, and it sounds a lot better. Another one that not many people are aware of is called Aug Vorbis, and this is the default audio format for Spotify and a lot of streaming platforms. 
This sounds better than MP3 at about the same bit rate. But lossless audio formats are taking over because they make the file size smaller without any loss in quality. FLAC, or Free Lossless Audio Codec, is one of the big ones. And the best part is this has a resolution that can go up to 96K. ALAC is another one, and this is Apple Lossless Audio Codec. And as you might expect, it's used on Apple devices. What you're probably going to see on your digital audio workstation, though, is an uncompressed file. And this could be either a WAV or AIFF. In the PC world, it's a WAV file. In the Mac world, it's AIFF. These are uncompressed, they sound the best, but they also take up the most file space. Now, it turns out that lossy formats are just not that important these days because the bandwidth is much higher and this space is very inexpensive. So we're going to consume a lot more lossless and uncompressed audio online. And that means the quality of the audio is going to get better and better. My guest this week is Chris S.D., who's an award-winning music producer with five Juno Awards and seven nominations. He was also nominated as Engineer of the Year in 2012. With his extensive industry contacts and experience, Chris has helped artists land record deals, find management and booking agencies, and license music to TV and film. He started Sync Songwriter to help musicians get their music licensed through one of the best music licensing courses in the business called The Art of the Song Pitch. In the program, he teaches his five-step process to get music sync successfully. Not only do his students learn the best ways to get their music heard by the gatekeepers, but also get to meet and pitch their music live online to top music supervisors during the course. During the interview, he spoke about what's changed in sync licensing, how to know if your music is ready for placement, if you need to master your songs for sync, if you can record at home and get your music on a TV and film, the biggest mistakes that people make trying to get sync placements, and much more. I spoke with Chris via Zoom from a sailboat somewhere in the Sea of Cortez. What's the latest in the world of sync licensing? The latest in the world of sync licensing is not much changes, which is a good thing. I mean, things change slowly, right? There's yeah. things that always that come and go. Um, but uh, in terms of the fundamentals, in terms of what you can do and what you can have uh, going for you, I mean, it's it's uh, something totally dependable, which is amazing. It doesn't just change like cryptocurrency or something, you know, yeah. it's uh, been the same since uh, TV started. So, Is there like an influx of new supervisors because of the all the new shows that are starting? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, there are an incredible number of uh, opportunities out there. I mean, you remember like back, I'm sure, when it was like 12 channels, you know, and that's what you got. And then it was like cable, you know, like, was it going bigger? And you had like 20 and then 40 and then it's in the hundreds, you know, and, uh, and then online. And then, I mean, there's so much content, so much stuff, movies going straight to streaming, you know, all constantly and uh, streaming services, making movies. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really the volume of opportunities are amazing. So the number of music supervisors has of course increased dramatically as well. But that being said, it's like the, the democratization of anything. You have to make sure that you're aiming for the quality because 
it's like everybody can put their song on SoundCloud, but you know, if you go through SoundCloud, you know, not everybody's kind of ready, you know, to to do what they're trying to do with their music. And it's just the way it goes. And the same thing in the sync world. You know, you've got to be choosy and more importantly, know how to target to the things that you want to get your music into. That's the critical part is that, you know, to understand how to, you know, reach the opportunities. And the most important part is how to connect with the gatekeepers, like how to actually do it. Because you can be in a library, you can be with a sync agent, and there's just like so much about that that is just difficult because you're like a can of soup in a box store, you know? And uh, the 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 music supervisor, if they decide to go to that library or sync agent you're in, they're always going to walk into that box store and buy something. So it's always good for them. And the box store always sells something. So it's really good for them. But for the artists, you know, they've got to walk down into your section, down your aisle, look at your shelf and pick you from all the cans, you know, because there's tons of songs and artists that you're competing against within that library, that sync agency. So libraries and sync agents are great. There's definitely no doubt about there's a place for that. Um, I'm just not a huge fan in that they take a big chunk of the revenue and that your chances are more like a needle in a haystack generally, unless they have you on the front burner, which is not very common. So I've certainly had far more success uh, using my connections, you know, the people that I know personally in the sync industry and introducing indie musicians directly to them. The ones I feel, you know what, they're ready, they're good to go and, you know, putting them towards that. And of course, nurturing them along the way with the art of the song pitch and all these things to make sure they're ready and then putting them actually face-to-face -face in front of the actual people who put the music uh, in TV and film. And that's how we've gotten the results that we've gotten, the tons of case studies and all of that. You just mentioned some magic words here, when they're ready. How does one know when they're ready? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. One trick that I've always found to figure that out is based on the premise that you don't have to have the best sounding record in the world at all. I mean, you, don't, you just don't have to, you know that. It's the songs have to be compelling. You do have to be above a certain threshold. There's just no two ways about it. You wanna get on radio, get labels to you know treat you seriously, get into TV and film, all that stuff. You have to be above a certain bar. So what is that threshold? You know, it's a little bit of a gray area. Well, there's the one trick that I know that works really well to figure that out. And what I advise people when they're trying to see where their songs sit in that sort of scale is uh, take your song, throw it into a playlist with your heroes, you know, the people that you think are cool and whatever, and put it on random. And then don't sit there and listen to it. You know, don't sit and crank it up and focus on it. Go chop carrots, do something, make dinner, whatever you're going to do, and just listen to it askance. I mean, you listen to it sort of like background music almost, you know, you're paying attention, but it's, you're moving to it, but it's, it's secondary to what you're doing. When your song comes along, notice how you feel. Did your head stop bopping? Did you feel like you were let down? Or did you feel like, wow, that was great. That fits right in there. Heck, maybe I'm even better than these guys. <laughs> you know, um, You're golden if you pass that test. But if you feel that, yeah, my mix sounds small sounds quiet. Keep in mind, yours isn't masters. So you're going to be quieter than the other ones. But if you feel the energy and, and the, the feel and the richness of what you've produced isn't really there compared to them, 
then you've got some work to do. And that's actually a good thing. You know, it's a good thing because now you know you're not going to waste a great song on mediocre production. Music production is one of the easiest things to fix because you can just go, the hard part's right in the song, you know, but you can just go and fix it, you know, go, go and redo it, learn more stuff, hire someone new, go to the person you're working with and, you know, ask them to revamp it, you know, take it from a different angle. It's going to cost some time and some money, but, you know, you can figure that out. That's just a, a tactical thing, you know? And so that to me is one of the easiest ways to sort of figure out if you're in that ballpark. And uh, we tend to have rose colored glasses sometimes with our own stuff, you know, or we get demoitis, you know, we, we record our demo and then we think like, Oh, you know, that's, it's good. I got to re-record that for sure. And then you play it for your friends and then you play it for your family. And then by then, and then soon you're listening to it. Cause you think it's pretty cool. It's a brand new song and you're, you know, you're proud of it and rightfully so. And all of a sudden you start thinking, you know, this demo sounds pretty darn good. Like I, I like every little part of it. It's got these little idiosyncrasies in it. And now you've crawled down the wrong rabbit hole because you know, it, your first instinct was right. You probably do need to re-record it. So it's important to vet your music with other people, have other ears on it, or do that little playlist test. You know, you just mentioned something about song not being mastered, and I think there's two schools of thought here that you should master everything that you submit, and the other one is, no, you don't need to. So where do you come down on that? Yeah, so it depends on what you're submitting for. So if you're a production writer, you're writing production music, you know, a lot of instrumental stuff, uh, you're putting stems out, you're in some uh, an instrumental library, or someone's pitching your stuff to production kind of music media, you know, then you do not need to master. You certainly wouldn't master your stems, but you wouldn't you wouldn't really need to master your mix because they're going to kind of want to manipulate that a little bit more for that kind of music. In the part of the sync world I work in, which is directly with music supervisors who actually put the music into TV and film, they expect a mastered track. They don't want to fiddle around with waiting for the master or they don't need to tweak it. They just they just want it to work. So, you know, when they listen to a song and what happens is they take some songs, they pick yours and they pick a few other ones. They go to a spotting session is what it's called. And they sit there and then they go through the 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 video, right? Or whatever the, the movie and show or ad, they play the music in the background. They try each song. When yours is in there, they're listening to it as if it's the final rendition. I mean, they want to just see what it does to the to the music. And if it's good, they want to be able to call you up and say, hey, I want to license it, send you a big sync check uh, payment, and you get back-end royalties, of course, and then your your song's in the big time. And so they don't want to mess around with, with doing that. So it depends on the kind of where you're at in the sync world. I don't deal with production music very often. I deal with songwriters, uh, composers, and artists, uh, and directly to, to music supervisors. I have a friend who's uh, fairly successful in writing for television. He has over 20,000 cues. And last time I uh, talked to him, he was on 150-some series all over the world. <laughs> and he claims that one of the reasons why is he really makes his stuff loud. And he says, I, I wanted to jump out so a music supervisor really hears it and jumps out above all else. And yet I've heard from other people saying experienced people saying, no, that, that doesn't work, but it does for him. So what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it really comes down to the kind of music that the, that is being produced and the kind of opportunities and music supervisors that you're approaching. So 
if you're going after the kind of opportunities or your music is dynamic, uh, it's got space in it, maybe a lower, slower tempo, you know, sometimes faster, but it's it's a little more uh, d- dynamic, you know, then they're the kind of people who are looking for that kind of music are less interested in how loud it is. They're, they're not even listening for that. They're listening for what it is, the art and how it's going to carry the visual. People who are looking quickly for production music, pop songs, catchy hooks, maybe ads and stuff like that, they're running through a bunch of songs quickly, you know, then louder is proven that it sounds better. The trick is not blowing it, you know, not, not mangling it to try to get it louder. And therefore, you know, your disadvantage, your advantage goes away. It becomes a disadvantage. So there is truth on both sides, but um, certainly the kind of music and the kind of approach he takes would suit what he's doing. Well, he was an engineer before he actually pivoted into this. So his good ears and good technique, less likely to mangle something than, than most people are, especially now with the powerful tools that we have. That It's easier to get into trouble than it is to help what you're doing. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the more choices you have and, you know, that's one thing I, I advise people who record at home. You know, I get that question. Can I record at home and get my music into TV and film? And the answer is, well, certainly you can absolutely do that. Um, don't know if you've heard of Billie Eilish before, you know, it's like, so they record in their bedroom, you know, and that's, that's amazing. Now that's of course a, a exceptional example, but you know, the, the thing is when you're recording at home, I think the biggest challenge is not blowing great songs to mediocre recordings, right? So I've said before, and the, the trick is, is just, don't be afraid to hire the people who are better, you know, and, and learn as you go, get better as you go. And, and you'll learn from them and they'll also take your music into a place that you wouldn't have thought of or that you're in, incapable of doing. And that is fine. That's Steve Jobs' whole approach. You know, he was started Apple and he said, I just collected the best people around me I could, people who were better than me, who all were amazing, top of their game, and they're largely self-managed. And my job as a leader was to reiterate the vision. You know, there's nothing wrong with being the chef in the kitchen and have all the sous chefs who are great, you know, making the sauces. So why do you want to make the sauce? You're the one tasting the sauce and telling them how to change it. You're the mastermind. Mm. So that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody wants to get into sync licensing. And the reason why it's one of the proven paths to actually making money in today's music business. And the thing about it is you're not limited to age, for instance, so you don't really age out of it, which is a good thing, but there is lots of competition. So how would you address that? Yeah, that's a great question. So a story that I use a lot that I think is appropriate is that people say, what are my odds of going to Mars? You know, that's the new new thing, right? The frontier. What are my odds, right? So there's what I don't even know what we're at now. It's like eight billion people or something on the planet, or almost there, if not there. And um, your chances then, if you were a farmer in Nebraska, are about one in say eight billion. And so, okay, not a, not not a good shot. But what about if you're an astronaut trained by NASA and oh, and you got a science degree? What are your odds now? Very 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 different. And that is the whole reason Sync Songwriter exists. The whole reason. I dedicate all the time I do to this is because 
if you know the right people, if you can get your music in front of the people who make it happen, your odds are ridiculously higher than somebody who put their record out on SoundCloud. It's just the way it goes. It is a little bit about who you know. And that is kind of what I've always tried to do was when why I developed all those relationships in the in the sync industry was to be able to bring independent music that my music supervi- music supervisor friends couldn't have heard before. Like they would never have heard that that song, but it comes through me because it's recommended or it came through my community or my course. And I can say, this is quality. I've educated them as much as they need to know. They're talented. They know what they're doing. Check this music out. People do not get that kind of chance. And I'm not talking about like a music supervisor, because as we said earlier, there's tons of music supervisors. There's ones for reality TV and student films and stuff. No, we, we need to talk about the top ones, the very top ones. And those are the ones that I like to sort of deal with, you know, the kind of sync placements, you know, $20,000, $30,000. Those are some big ones that I've gotten for, for independent musicians. And that is completely doable if you know the right people, right? Your music, if you connect with the right people in TV and film. That's how these things can happen. Is it true that music supervisors sort of feel like they're A&R people and they like to find new music? Yeah, so that's something that is is not very well known is that music supervisors um, are often ex-musicians themselves or they still play in a band or they have friends who are musicians or they came up loving music. They actually, not all of them, not all of them for sure, but a huge number of them and pretty much every single one I know loves independent music. They love supporting it. They love the story of finding someone like, you know, a music supervisor I know told this great story where she heard this song and tried to find the band and couldn't find them, you know, and they're out in the middle of like Idaho or something. And she actually went to Idaho, you know, to watch them live. And, and uh, they, she synced them a ton of times because she thought they were amazing. And it was just because she just loved their music and loved discovering it. And another music supervisor said to me before, you know, they said, Chris, it's so much fun and so great working with the artists that you bring us because I get tired of going to the faceless music libraries is what, what they, what they called it, you know, where it's just like, okay, another song, another, you know, it's like they actually get to see an artist and get to know who they are and hear their story. And, and it feels great to be able to take that indie artist and lift them up. And when you get your music in a spot that is, you can end up in the charts, you get millions of eyes and ears on you. You know, you get people shazamming your song, you get this massive bump, in, in a fan base. It, it really is such a powerful thing to ride on the coattails of all this production and promotion that Hollywood has done, or, you know, or TV studios, and you're just jumping on the train and, you know, and you're, you're along for the ride. So the trick is being able to get on the train. And that's kind of where I come in. Yeah. Look at Kate Bush. Yeah. She got a whole second life because of, of <laughs> you know, her placement. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, Going way back, I mean, Moby, one of the first ones, I mean, he was a nobody, you know, and I actually know the music supervisor who broke him in LA and uh, he took him around, took the music around, took him around to all these places and said, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to do it through music licensing. And Moby's like, I don't want it, you know, my music, it's not cool to be in ads. It's not cool to be in TV when it wasn't, people thought it was selling out. And it's like, you know, you can go after the music that your fans watch. The shows that you love, right? Sorry, I said music. I meant movies and shows. 
movies and shows that your fans love, that the, what you love to do. I mean, why wouldn't you want to be in your favorite TV show? I mean, that is amazing. Now, one of the things that's interesting, though, is artists always have a different view of their music than the rest of the world. For instance, what happens a lot with an artist or a band is that fans will say, you sound just like X. And they'll go, I don't sound anything like that. So it would be the same thing here where you think, oh, I'd love to be on that show because my music seems like it's perfect for it. But yet, maybe it's not. Right. And so that is definitely uh, something that, um, you know, I teach in The Art of the Song Pitch about how to target your music. And you do it through vetting a very specific way with a listening group who are going to tell you, who are going to be your mirror. We're going to be able to tell you these things. And it's a trick of asking the right questions at the right time during your production. And that's really what it comes down to. So there's a system that works really, really well for that. Uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean, um, that's why a lot of people get shocked when they hear their voice recorded, you know, like, ah, I sound like that. Like they, they don't feel they sound like that or they catch themselves in a walking by a window or in a video and they just feel a little like that's a stranger a little bit, you know, or I don't feel like that person necessarily. So, you know, it's just a part of the human condition. Uh, but the more we, you know, get cool with it and figure it out uh, and use other people to help inform us, you know, but there's a way to do it without getting disparate answers. You need very concrete uh, direction so that you, once you know where you're going with it, then it's, it's a piece of cake. What are the mistakes that artists, songwriters, musicians make when it comes to trying to get their music synced? Um, you know, there's a lot of them. I would say um, without going into a huge list, but I would, I would focus on the, I guess the main ones I think the biggest mistake that that artists and musicians make when they're first starting out is being uh, enamored enough with their music that they feel they can just put it on the web and email some people and some things are going to happen. And, uh, you know, once in a while it happens, right? Somebody gets in a car crash who didn't wear their seatbelt and gets thrown clear of the wreck that blew up and they say, ah, I'm alive because I didn't wear a seatbelt. I mean, it happens. You know, some people do get sync placements or discovered on SoundCloud can completely happen, but it's extremely rare, you know? And so what that's say, that would be one of the biggest mistakes is not getting serious or learning how to get their music in front of the right people soon enough. They waste a lot of time knocking their head against the wall until they figure it out a year or two later and then, you know, start doing that. So I think that's a big mistake. Another really simple one is people will uh, send music out without metadata filled out properly in their file. And so I have so many, you know, tragic stories from music supervisors who are like, yeah, so I had the perfect song for this thing. And I looked in the metadata, I, I don't remember where the email it came from or how I got it, but it, there it was. And I looked in the file in the metadata to contact this person and their contact information wasn't in, in there. And I'm not about to go sleuthing around on the internet trying to find this, this artist. So I moved on to the next one, you know. So that's a, that's a simple, simple, simple mistake. But um, yeah, I would just say the, the big one is just like, you know, you've got to take that shortcut early, you know, and I know that it takes us some, we got to get up and fall down and get up and fall down a lot, but uh, there are ways to shortcut things in life, working smarter and harder, you know, and uh, being able to connect with the right people is really, that is the shortcut that you're going to be able to take 
um, to get your music to make things happen, you know, sooner than later. And that, that's, I think, very important. So what you do with the art of the song pitch is help artists, songwriters, musicians connect directly with music supervisors. But yet the other path is to go the music library route. And there's certainly people that have been successful doing that. So what, what would you say to that? Yeah, well, it was kind of what I was saying earlier about the the sort of the uh, the box store, you know, is that you're in there competing against uh, so many people on a roster in a library or in a sync agency. And then, um, so you're a bit of a needle in a haystack. And then, so, you know, when somebody says, you know, oh, my library gets however many syncs a month or something, it's like, yeah, that's great. They're winning, you know, and, and they're, they're, of course, they've got all these songs. They've got your songs too. But how many syncs do you have? Well, you know, I don't have any yet, but I mean, if they're getting that many and shit, well, how many people are on their roster? Well, I don't know, like 10,000, 50,000, millions. There's some with millions. There's libraries out there. You could jump on right now, you know, sign a little contract, throw your music up there and you'd be one of millions. And so what are your odds of doing that? And then on top of that, they keep a huge chunk of the sync fee that you're going to get. And then they keep some, some of them keep the back part of the back end royalty, you know? And so, and, and, and I've even heard of some of them wanting to sign a contract in perpetuity, which means that they want the right to be able to pitch your music. Well, basically till you die, you know, and it's like, wow. You know, I say run from that, you know, that's just insanity to me. But the bottom line is that I think it's a valid path. If there was no way to connect with music supervisors, you know, if you just couldn't do it, that would be a valid path that you could put your music in a library or get a sync agent and hope for the best. And maybe you'll get a sync or two, you know, in your lifetime that might, that could happen. You know, some people get, they've got great music or they get put on the front burner by the agent of the library and they do much better, certainly, or major labels are pushing it all the time. But for the vast majority of people, that's not the, the Cinderella story. You know, to me, the most logical and clearest path, the one that makes the most sense to me albeit the hardest one, is to cut through, you know, the forest and go straight to the gatekeepers, go straight to the people without the middle person and just be able to connect directly to them is not an easy thing. It was very hard for me to do. I failed completely when I started doing this. You know, I started as an award-winning music producer, helping indie, indie artists connect uh, because we'd work on their records and they didn't have the managers and labels of the bigger artists I worked with helping them along. So I thought, well, what's the next best thing? Oh, there's this thing called uh, music licensing. Uh, people are making a heck of a lot of money for like no work. Like what's up with this? And so I thought, you know, I'll, I'm a, you know, I, I'm a somebody in the music industry. Well, that didn't hold any water in the TV film industry. I didn't get return calls, got no emails back, nothing, you know, crickets. And it just took me time, you know, it took me a lot of time to, to, develop the relationships and figure it out and start hanging out with them and say, well, what do you need? And how do you need it? And what, what do I do? And, you know, fast forward to today, I just know a ton of people in the film and TV industry and they love the music that I bring them. And so that it took a lot of work. And really this again is like a, a shortcut, you know, for artists out there to be able to just like, Hey, I can just jump on this train, you know, and just like that. Right. And that that's really what, you know, what, what sync songwriter is well let's talk more about sync songwriters so what is it exactly just describe it sure yeah i mean sync songwriter it is really the idea 
that you can be an artist and make authentic music. That's one thing music supervisors constantly tell me is they want to hear authentic music. They don't want to hear people writing for sync. They want it to come from your heart, write for your fans, write for yourself, and you will hit the mark. And then find the opportunities where your music fits, right? Not the other way around. Don't chase chase something. Just a um, very quick story. Uh, went to a music conference when I first started a band, and Malcolm McLaren, a manager of the Sex Pistols, was uh, you know a keynote speaker. We missed his keynote. He was coming out of the, of the, the uh, conference room. And my brother and I, who was, my brother was in a band with me, were standing there and I sort of stopped him. He was coming out with his entourage. And I said, excuse me, Malcolm, do you have any advice for like a, a band starting out? And he kind of looked us up and down and he grabbed the tag off me or my brother. I don't remember. And he threw it on the floor and he says, don't come to them. Go home, write great music and make them come to you. <laughs> and I thought that is excellent advice. And that is exactly what Sing Songwriter is all about, is taking independent musicians and saying, stick to what you write, stick to the things you do, that you do well, that come from your heart. And here's how you take that and find the opportunities for your music. And of course, we walk them through it in the art of the song pitch and do all that. And then once you've got all that figured out, okay, with your particular music, these kinds of opportunities are going to be amazing for you. And these are some of the music supervisors who are going to be amazing for you. And guess what? We're just going to put you face to face with them. So, you know, of course, on Zoom, right? Hanging out, you'd be anywhere. You don't have to fly to Los Angeles. And you get those inroads to, the, to those actual people. That is not a mission statement for Sync Songwriter, but it's a long rambling de description of what it is. But it really is lifting independent music up in the industry, to the top of the industry, so that independent music has a chance to blow the socks off someone that wouldn't normally be able to hear great music. How long does it take to go through the course? It is, I'm trying to remember we, exact, the exact time. We, you know, we have like uh, eight modules and they're released every two weeks kind of thing. So, you know, it's like four months or something. And, um, and then after that, we, that's when we have the pitch sessions. That's when we start you know, at, at the end of the course, once everybody's graduated the course and knows exactly what's what we teach everything you need to know and not a bit more you don't have to be a lawyer to to go through this course at all it's all you know concepts that you need to know and need to understand and once you understand them all then you're ready to go in front of the music supervisors and that involves you know your music being vetted and you know your songs being being steered in the right way and you've done the targeting for the things that you're going to fit into figuring out what those things are. We help, help uh, everybody with that. And then we go through a vetting process. And then of course there's a production part of it and there's a songwriting part of it. And, um, and then there's the pitch part of it, like how you actually pitch your music like the experts, because if you just go out and reach out like an amateur, they, they know you're an amateur. They're afraid of amateurs. There's been too many nightmare stories of somebody coming out and say, yeah, here's my song. And then they, they make some silly mistake, like forget about the publishing deal that they have, or, you know, the bass player suddenly decided that they wrote part of the song now that it's going to be in a big, big movie, you know? And uh, so they steer clear and they, they tend to focus on the, you know, agents and libraries and so on, or people like myself who they have relationships with and the musicians who come up through the art of the song pitch. They understand that they've been through that. You want to be up there with the libraries and sync agents at, at that level, because that 
is how you you don't have to belong to a, a library and be lost in the library. You can stand shoulder to shoulder with them and be pitching your music because you're an expert like they are. And that's really what it is, plus the contacts that I give them. Last question, Chris. What's the best piece of advice that you would give to someone that's trying to get into sync licensing? Right. So the first thing that has to happen is your music has to be compelling. That does not mean that you have to be a professional musician, that you have to have a, even a record out, but you have to be able to write music. I've had people come to me. Um, I run an online studio and I've had people come to me with a smartphone recording and we've produced it at our studio and then got a bunch of syncs with it. You know, I've got case studies, right, that, that, are, that are like that. So you don't have to be have a great sounding record. You don't have to be a great singer. You know, you can either hire a session singer or, you're, you know, you, through, through the production module, I've got all this education and how to, how to do that. And well, heck, I mean, they're in your community. They're going to know how to record, <laughs> yeah. especially I love your vocal recording uh, course that you, that you have put out sometimes. It's awesome. And so they're going to be basically be able to understand how to make those recordings work. Once you have a great song and a great recording, it doesn't end there. Then you need to know how to target it, how to vet it and how to pitch it. And finally have someone introduce you to the right people because it's going to take you a long, long time to be able to get there. So that's, that's what I do is put people in front of the right people to make things happen. So the independent music can really shine, you know, did we hit everything that you wanted to talk about? I, you know, just wanted to thank you, Bobby, for, for having me on here. Uh, I love um, your show is, you know, of course, I hold it in the highest regard. It's very popular. People like constantly talk about it. You're a uh, icon in the industry and I'm, you know, um, proud to be working with you sometimes and be your friend and everything. Uh, so I appreciate you having me on. And um, I just want to, I guess, leave it at, uh, if you're, someone's listening right now and they're thinking, you know, it seems like such a mountain to climb, like such a, 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 you know, a river to cross to get there, to get their music into TV and film. Remember that there is a roadmap. There's a system, there's a blueprint, there's a way to get there. They just have to follow the steps. And that's what the art of the song pitch is. They just have to follow the steps and let me take them by the hand, walk them through it, and then help them with their music put them in front of the right people and the rest can be history. You can find out more about Chris and his art of the song pitch program at syncsongwriter.com. That's syncsongwriter, all one word, dot com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Remember that you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, or you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyowinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. <laughs>